Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. So do not be afraid of them. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your father. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So do not be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Whoever acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge him before my father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before men, I will disown him before my Father in heaven. Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. He who receives you receives me, and he who receives me receives the one who sent me. This is the word of the Lord. As we stand, let's, uh, let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we do want to pray to you as our Father. We pray that through the scriptures we're looking at right now, uh, you would speak. And through the teaching of the Lord Jesus, you would change our hearts uh, to trust you more, completely and utterly. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, please do sit down. As you're sitting down, if you could be turning back in your Bibles to Matthew uh, chapter 10. We're about halfway through the chapter to page 975. Uh, There's an outline amongst the bits of paper you're given on the way in. You can use that to make notes if you would like or just to follow on, follow what what we're doing. Let me uh, begin with a couple of questions though. I wonder what would be your idea of the perfect family, the, the kind of family that you'd really like to be a part of. Uh, I think of uh, the kind of family that you might find in a, a 1950s Hollywood movie, like the James Stewart film, It's a Wonderful Life, you know, the one that comes at Christmas every year. The kind of family, everyone is looking out for one another, the family business is 100% honourable and worthy. Crises do happen in the short term, but things work out wonderfully in the end, and every day is Christmas Day in the snow. Well, here's another question. What's what's your idea of the perfect dad? Uh, The man you would most like to be your father. Uh, One of my favourite children's books is uh, the Arthur Ransom story, We Didn't Mean to Go to Sea, uh, which you may have read. And that has a dad uh, who seems to me near perfect. I certainly felt this when I was growing up. You know, he's fun, he's adventurous, he's unflappable in a crisis, he's patient, uh, but also firm, and he is utterly trustworthy 
The only downside I can see is that the book was written in the 1920s, uh, so he wore uh, tweeds and, and smoked a pipe. Uh, I'm slightly less sure about doing that, and I, I suspect if I went for that model wholesale, uh, my own son might disown me. Now, usually those questions are very unhelpful questions to ask, aren't they? So it's a slightly high-risk strategy, me beginning that way this morning. Too quickly, we end up feeling discontent with our own families, which are, of course, typically far from perfect. Or if you're a father yourself, uh, like, uh, like me, then you'll start, quickly start to feel inadequate when it dawns on, when it dawns on us, really, how far short, short we fall. But this morning, we are going to be encouraged to think about the perfect family and the perfect father. Uh, but this time, it will be helpful. In fact, more than helpful, essential, vital. And so we come to the final section of Matthew chapter 10 that we're looking at over these weeks. The last in our series, little series on gospel multiplication. What is gospel multiplication? Well, it's responding to the gospel ministry of Jesus, the gospel message of Jesus, getting caught up in that, and then multiplying that ministry ourselves in the world around us. We've been encouraged to see things with Jesus' eyes. And uh, so multiply his compassion for people who are struggling under the shadow of death, people who desperately need to hear the good news of the kingdom. We've been encouraged to look around us with the eyes of Jesus to see a vast harvest field, huge potential out there. And uh, so we pray earnestly for his work to be multiplied in that harvest field. And uh, we've been encouraged to multiply that work ourselves cast out by Jesus into that harvest field, urgently going from person to person, testing their responses to the wonderful good news of the coming kingdom. However, we've also been seeing over the last couple of weeks that this work will be testing for us too. The last two weeks, Jesus has warned us, don't be surprised by the kind of reaction this gets. Don't be surprised by the rejection Uh, by the opposition, even the hatred. Be ready for that. Be prepared for that. And certainly don't let your fear of those things hold you back. But actually, it's only really this time that we're going to get the main reason why we need not to be afraid as we face those things. And indeed, the main reason why it's all worth it in the end. I hope we're going to see this morning that that's basically because of the kind of family Uh, which we've joined through the Lord Jesus. It is the kind of family, as we shall see, demands the utmost commitment and loyalty. But it is also the kind of family which provides the greatest possible safety and security. Which does mean that as we go about the family business, which is to go out into the harvest field, multiplying the work of the gospel, as we go about the family business, we can do so with a surprising, a remarkable confidence given the apparent difficulties. We're going to look at that idea in two parts from our passage this morning. Uh, We did look briefly at uh, verses 40 to 42 uh, a couple of weeks ago, so we're not going to look at those uh, verses again closely today, but we're going to look at the, the other verses, 26 to 39, and I'm going to divide those into two. Jesus says first, 
This is verses 26 to 31. Don't be afraid, but trusting. And then secondly, verses 34 to 39. Jesus says, don't be disloyal, but faithful. So then, let's look at the first of those sections. 26 to 31, verses 26 to 31. Jesus says, don't be afraid, but rather trusting. Inside God's family, your future is absolutely safe and secure. In fact, these verses lie right at the centre of Jesus' speech teaching in Matthew chapter 10. So it's striking, isn't it? Right at the centre of what Jesus teaches in this chapter, he says, as you're sent out as gospel multipliers, provoking opposition, possibly even hatred because of me, don't be afraid. And just in case we might miss that, he says it three times, very clearly. Verse 26, verse 28, verse 31. So take verse 26, so do not be afraid of them, says Jesus. That is, don't be afraid of the people uh, just back in the previous verses who have been maliciously slandering Jesus and he has warned us we'll do the same to those who follow him. Don't be afraid of that kind of slander, those kinds of lies. Why not? Well, Jesus says, there's nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden, that will not be made known. That is, anyone who lies against Jesus will be exposed in the end as a liar. Likewise, it applies for us too. Anyone who lies against us as his followers, as we proclaim the truth, will be likewise exposed. Sometimes we think about um, this expression, don't we? You know, the truth, eventually the truth will out. Uh, and sometimes that is true and sometimes it's not in, in our immediate experience. But this is a promise that that is going to be true in the end. Uh, we might not see it in our lifetime. But in the end, at the coming judgment, all things will be exposed. All the lies will be exposed. And the truth will be utterly plain to see. God will see to it, in other words, that the truth will be victorious. Therefore, those on the side of truth need not be afraid to speak it. And it's interesting, just recently I was, uh, I was asked to get involved uh, publicly in a certain controversy about Christian practice that's been in the news recently. Uh, it wasn't a terribly big thing, uh, but it was a public thing. And it's interesting because I did hesitate when I was asked to do that. And I hesitated, I did do it in the end, but I did hesitate because I could see where it might lead. Uh, even this morning, I've got, there's been some correspondence about it and it still might lead to, to harsh things spoken in public, uh, to misrepresentation, to twisting of things that I've said. You know, I've seen it happen to other people. I've experienced that in the past. And it's not a very pleasant thing to go through. So it's promises like this that are going to really help me and help you as well uh, to be firm in what we say. See, what Jesus is promising here is that whatever people throw at us in terms of slander or twisting our words, none of it will stick in the end. Everything is going to be exposed in the end in the searing bright light 
of God's justice. Now, slander and distortion is one thing, but Jesus has warned his disciples that um, things might get even worse than that. Some people might uh, well want to kill them. Uh, They hate them and even want to kill them, just as, of course, as they wanted to kill him. What about that? What about that? Well, take a look at the second, don't be afraid. That's the first 28. Verse 28, Jesus says, don't be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. In other words, Jesus warns again, there may well be people who want to harm you or kill you, says Jesus, but they do not have the authority to destroy you. Only God the creator has that kind of authority and power. Rather, he says, be afraid of him. Be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Interesting, isn't it? Once again, we'll be encouraged by Jesus to, to see our lives now in the, in the light of that, of that future, the future judgment. To see our lives now uh, and where we stand uh, with God then, how that affects our lives now. Everything that happens now finds its significance then. And even death doesn't cut us off from that. Even death finds its significance then. Interesting, isn't it? So don't be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot see, kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. You might not immediately find that comforting. It does seem a little, at first, like out of the frying pan into the fire, doesn't it? It's like a, a scene from the, the Lord of the Rings, perhaps. You know, the, the goblins have fled and no longer a danger, but here comes the real monster, the bulrock breathing fire and brimstone. One danger goes, another one comes. But look again at the kind of fear of God Jesus is encouraging in these verses. This is indeed, as we shall see even more in a moment, um, someone we should fear for our lives if we find ourselves to be his enemies. But if instead we find ourselves within his family, able to call him father, well, then that's a very different kind of fear. And you can see here, it's the kind of fear that is full, perhaps most of all here, of respect, of a kind of awesome respect. Uh, Respect at his intimate sovereignty over all things, even over the very thing that we might be afraid of in the first place, which is death. The Lord is utterly sovereign over death. Look at verse 29. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, says Jesus, yet not one of them will fall to the ground. That is, not one of them will die apart from the will of your father. So the key thing about picking out sparrows is that they're very small, they're very insignificant. Back in the ancient Near East, they were were food for the poor. Crunchy, I would guess, but uh, better than nothing. And certainly very inexpensive. I was going to say very cheap, but of course they're they're dead, so they don't go cheap. Anyway, two for a penny, very inexpensive. Two for the smallest coin that you can find. The Lord is sovereign over the life and death of the smallest, least significant bird. That should inspire in us an awesome respect for his sovereignty. 
What's more, he's even sovereign over the life and death of the hairs on your head. Even the very hairs of your head are all numbered, says Jesus. And some of us, of course, even the days of the hairs of our head are also numbered. Those are under his control too. So you see how this is kind of fitting together. It's not just about the care of our Heavenly Father in, in general, or the fact that uh, he knows about how many hairs we have or, or how few. This is about the particular care and concern of our Father as we face death, his sovereignty over death. That's the issue here, back in verse 28. The risk of death if we follow Jesus faithfully in a hostile world. Certainly hatred, possibly death. But our Father in heaven is so great, Jesus is reminding us, not even a sparrow, not even a hare will fall down dead to the ground outside his comprehensive sovereignty. So verse 31, do not be afraid of even death. And Jesus adds, I imagine with a bit of a twinkle in his eye at this point, remember you're worth more than many sparrows. If he's sovereign over that, he's sovereign over you. Your death, says Jesus, will certainly not fall outside the will of your father and his knowledge, care and concern. There's no way that you can be overlooked by him. Look at these verses again. Verse 26, God is in charge of the truth. Verses 28 to 31, God is in charge even of death. That is the kind of father we have. And what should it lead to? What should those two things lead to? What lies in between those two great promises? Well, it's there, verse 27, right in the middle. This is what Jesus says. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the light. What's whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. God's in charge of the truth. He's going to expose it. God's in charge of death and life. It's under his authority, under his control. So don't be silenced by the likelihood of lies and slander. Don't even be silenced by the threat of death. Right at the centre of the chapter, Jesus says, speak, shout it from the rooftops. What I've told you about the kingdom, shout it from the rooftops. I do think that uh, microphones are an amazing piece of technology. You can see we rely on them quite a lot here, and I'm very grateful for the one I've got just here. They're quite amazing things, aren't they, really? You know, they take our speech, these tiny vibrations in the air, they move a tiny little diaphragm inside them, which moves a little coil and generates a tiny little alternating current, goes down a cable, tiny electric signal that can then be amplified, amplified and multiplied, in fact, many, many times over. If you want, you can then plug some huge cables into walls and walls and giant speakers, rather as you might do at a rock concert or something like that. And that tiny vibration in the air can end up literally shaking an entire stadium. So think of this uh, moment in history, the moment of history that we're kind of looking in on in Matthew chapter 10. 2,000 years ago, it's a a particular tiny point in the planet in the Near East in Galilee. Jesus has been speaking the good news of the kingdom. It's interesting, isn't it? If you stood maybe just 
200 yards away from him, you wouldn't hear it. You wouldn't hear it, so you'd be too far away. It's an amazing, they're saying amazing things. But if it was just that, it would be rather like a, a sort of match uh, flicking for a moment in the darkness and then, and then going out. But even as Jesus speaks, this is the remarkable thing, isn't it? Even as Jesus speaks, Jesus is preparing to multiply that gospel message, to amplify that gospel message. And after his um, death and resurrection, when, the, when the, the light of that bursts out into the world, that message did indeed go out into all the world, multiplied over and over again, amplified over and over again, like the tiny vibrations in the air, amplified by a microphone and then amplified many times over. Take away the fear of slander and death and what he has whispered to his disciples in his disciples' ears will be shouted from the rooftops and the whole world will shake with the good news of the kingdom. So take a a man called uh, Polycarp, a, a Christian who lived in and uh, was killed uh, not that many years after Jesus spoke these words. He was stood in a, in a Roman stadium, an amphitheater, and commanded to renounce Christ on pain of being consumed by fire. But Polycarp said this amazing words. This is just an extract of the, some of the amazing things he said at that moment. He said, You threaten me with fire which burns for an hour and after a little is extinguished, but are ignorant of the fire of the coming judgment and of eternal punishment reserved for the ungodly. But why do you delay? Bring forth what you will. They slandered him there. They threatened to kill him. Indeed, they did kill him. But at that moment, God took away the fear of those things and the stadium shook with the news of the kingdom. But our father did it uh, back then with Polycarp. He can do it again with us here today by taking away the fear of those who would uh, lie about us, the fear of those who might want to harm us. Our father can take any one of us and and indeed all of us uh, to do exactly the same. He can take the smallest of us, the quietest of us, the meekest of us, the least impressive person among us, and by bringing them into the safety and security of his family, he can transform us. I think of myself, even even me. And where the risk of being slandered or hurt once caused us to, to clam up in silence, out of fear, well, Believing these promises should open our lips, crank up the volume. And now my neighborhood, my my workplace, every social group that I'm part of can shake, shake with the good news of the kingdom. This is what's possible inside this amazing family. If only we would trust our Father in heaven. I found this a, a huge encouragement, a huge encouragement over the last few days thinking this through. But alongside the encouragement, as so often in the New Testament, there is challenge and there is warning. We are indeed in an amazing family, unlike any other. 
But Jesus' final point is this. In that family, don't be disloyal. Don't be disloyal. Don't be disloyal. Keep faithful. I suppose it's simple, really. It works like this. Inside, we've been seeing already, inside God's family, there is safety and security. Absolute safety and security. Outside, however, there is none. And what Jesus does here is simply to go back, some of the, back over some of the material uh, we looked at last week. And uh, indeed, he does so in, in reverse order. So last week, you might remember, this is back in verses 24 and 25. Uh, Jesus warned us that if we identify ourselves uh, with him uh, as his students and servants, we, of course, cannot expect to be treated any better than, than he was. Well, now here, he gives us the even greater warning that if we refuse to identify with him in front of others, then our prospects are, in the end, far worse. Far worse. From verse 32, let me read this. Uh, Whoever acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. Okay, so there's the safety and security. But whoever disowns me before men... I will disown me before my, family, my father in heaven. Inside God's family, there is safety and security. Absolutely. But outside, there is none. And again from last week, you might remember that Jesus warned us that our message is going to divide people. Yeah, even, it might even well split families. You know, so we proclaim the message and it cuts us off, divides us from maybe even members of our own family. This is back in verse 21. Brother will betray brother to death. It's a terrible thing in itself, of course, but it is just a result, a consequence of the fact that people will respond to Jesus in different ways. And those different responses bring tension, conflict. You can see here, verses 34 and 35, uh, that warning is repeated Don't suppose that I've come to bring peace on the earth, says Jesus. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. For it's going to be like it was back in the the days of the prophet Micah. When the message likewise divided families. I've come to term a man against his father, daughter against her mother, daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Man's enemies will be members of his own household. It's a terrible thing, isn't it? So there's the warning again, but here's the even greater warning. The even greater warning that if we try and avoid that, placing peace in our families above loyalty to God's family, then our prospects are, in the end, far worse. Verse 37. Anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Now, as I said, it's it's not that we can't understand the the, the kind of logic of these warnings. It it is quite simple, isn't it? You know, inside the family, there's safety and security. Outside, there's none. It's just that at this point, the the warnings may become for us emotionally really quite sensitive. I remember two days after Catherine and I became Christians, the the wife of the, of the rector at the church we joined said to us this. She said, well, now you both love Jesus more than you love 
each other. And uh, she meant it well, I think, but we just looked at each other, at her and at one another, completely blankly. See, that, that didn't make any sense to us, really, at the time. We knew, we knew that we wanted to follow Jesus, and, but at the time, emotionally, that did, just didn't compute. It's hard, isn't it? And it's hard for parents, too, I think, that as they, as they think about their children, can, can they possibly love anyone more than their, their children? So it's important to be clear here, isn't it? Jesus is not asking us to, to abandon family love, love for children, love within marriage. He's simply asking us to see the priority of the greater family love. The family love for God our Father and for Jesus his Son, from which, of course, flows all other kinds of love. In fact, as Catherine and I have eventually discovered, you know, we're slow learners, but we've eventually discovered over the years, uh, since that time, uh, just after we became Christians, that getting this priority right, this love right first actually helps and enables the other kinds of family love. After all, all love does in the end come from God. Nevertheless, the the challenge remains. That love, the love for Jesus, comes first. So there are costs to being in God's family. The love for Jesus might divide us from close family members. Um, There are costs to being in God's family because it's all about loving Jesus, identifying with him without compromise. And as we do that, we may find that that's going to be expressed in a very similar suffering and and hatred that that precisely like the, the suffering and hatred and even death that he went through. As Jesus says, verse 38, it does mean following him in the way of the cross. It's only those who do that who are worthy of him, the way of suffering and loss. It is a cost, but the cost of being outside this family is in the end much greater. Verse 39, whoever tries to find an alternative life outside the family will lose it. We'll lose everything, in fact. Inside God's family, there's safety and security. Outside, there is none. It is a bit like other helpful warnings you might come across in everyday life. Inside the train, you are safe. Stick your head out of the window, tunnel coming up, and you are not. Inside the shark cage, you are safe. Well, you know, safe-ish. Outside, you are not. Inside the aircraft at 10,000 metres, you are safe. Outside the aircraft at 10,000 metres, you are not. These are helpful warnings. And these warnings here in Matthew 10 are gracious warnings. They're here to lead us back to the safety and security of the only family which matters in the end. So we might dream about the perfect human family, as I was suggesting at the beginning, or even yearn for a, for a, for a better earthly father, or to be a better earthly father, but those, um, in many ways, are just dreams. We, 
Don't, however, have to dream about this family, the heavenly family, or this father, our father in heaven. It is, uh, certainly for the moment, as we've uh, seen very clearly, not entirely an easy family to be a part of, but it is one centered around a father who is also the sovereign creator. He is in charge of the truth. He has absolute authority over life and death. And it is the only family in the end with any hope of survival and life. And with that guarantee in place, we are freed up to go about the family business. We can get on with that, really, without any constraints. And the family business is, as we've been seeing, to become gospel multipliers, motivated by the compassion of Jesus, caught up in earnest prayer for those who are lost, ready and willing to act ourselves, and we're seeing today, trusting our Father in all of this, loyally following the Lord Jesus, and going out there, testing people out with the good news of the kingdom, while at the same time being tested ourselves. At times it will be frightening, uh, and at times it will hurt, certainly emotionally, maybe even physically. But look at the wonderful promises in this chapter. Jesus says right at the heart of it, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. At times we might wonder whether all the pain is worth it, all this suffering. But Jesus promises, verse 32, Whoever does acknowledge me before men, I will acknowledge before my Father in heaven. And then again, end of verse 39. Whoever loses his life, gives his life up in this way, following me, doing that now, whoever loses his life will find it. They will find it.